Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Root Roaring Reds podcast. You may notice that this evening Grev is missing, so you're with me, Jace, but no Greville this evening. He's off sunning himself in Spain, uh, so we've been very unfortunate this week to have missed each other. Grev obviously covering the Palace game earlier, or last week now, uh, while I was working in Norway. And now Grev is on holiday, and so he wasn't with me at the Fulham game on Saturday. So uh, without further ado, I'll put the intro music on and we can get into the two-all draw with Fulham. Okay, so as always, I'm going to keep to the tradition and start with a bit boring review. So this week, I, I, I'm concerned a little bit. I'm concerned with the amounts of goals that we're actually not scoring. Um, we, I'm looking at the table already. I'm looking at some of the goal differences. You know, City are already adding goals and, and we were behind them on goal difference last year. Um, I think part of it's the formation that we're playing. Part of it is lacking Jesus. He definitely adds something to our attack in regards to the volume of chances we're creating and how he brings Martinelli in. So that is a concern for me. But what I'm, my actual review is trust the process. I'm kind of telling myself two things. One is we're not scoring enough goals. At the same time, I'm telling myself, trust the process. And the reason I say that is because if you watch or heard what Arteta said after the game, it was that we played 10 times better than we did against Fulham last year. So I just wanted to look a little bit deeper dive into those statistics. So yesterday, Arsenal had an XG, if you're into your data facts, of 3.26. However, last season, it was only 2.73. So the XG shows that we are improving our chance creation. At the same time, the amount we concede was also improved. So last year, it was 0.83. Yesterday, 0.56 from the Fulham's chances created with XG. So from those spaces, you can see that we are improving, but sometimes the, the luck doesn't always go our way. Um, sometimes we don't see in the scoreline what we see in data. And this was an example of it. Now, it was only two points drops, but we know that we need to continue to hit it this year and absolutely smash every single game we can, especially at home and against opponents like Fulham. So it was very disappointing. And the whole ground, it did feel like a defeat tool draw, especially when Fulham were down to 10 men. But we have to stay positive. We're behind our manager and we have to trust in the process. And I think Mikel knows what he's doing here. He, he, he knows and he's seeing the days and he believes in the team. And it's about, you know, you may not have success immediately, but with consistency, the results will come. They will come. And 
and I, I think that's a, a, a testament to Mikel, but also kind of proof through what he has done over the last three to four seasons. When we've had bad results, he has not jumped. He has not completely shifted and changed the process. He knows what he's doing, he has a plan, and he's working towards it. And so we have to back him, and we just have to trust the process. However, we as fans can be critical. And I think it's important that we move on and talk about defensive consistency. Because that was a little bit of a concern for me yesterday. Like, I, I know that there's some uh, something new that Mikel was trying here. But it, it, but in the ground, we had an incredible amount of frustration with what we saw happening yesterday. Partly for, uh, for a number of reasons. So uh, let's start with Pardy at right back. If you guys have been listening, you'll know that I'm not a big fan of him playing at right back. It does scare me. He's fine with the invert, but he does not do well when we are being counter-attacked. And, and that was how Fulham did get at us yesterday. It was through the odd counter-attack. Saka, very unfortunate to uh, make a mistake. It's very unlike Saka to play a ball like that. It caught us on the back foot. Players were out of position. I actually think the finish was lucky. I don't think he took the finish, uh, Pereira to the, the finish that well, if I'm completely honest, but it did. But Ramsdale was wrong-footed. And again, in a game at home, we are conceding very, very, very early. It was so frustrating. It took it took the the mood straight out of the ground, um, a pin drop. And that was disappointing. Um, it just wasn't the way we wanted to start that game. And then we were on the back foot for the rest of the game. Um, if we also talk about party playing at right back, the, the, the challenge also here for me with what we're doing at the moment, and, and I'm going to, by the way, talk here about how I'm maybe not so happy with the formation we play. At the same time, I'm still going to back Mikel. I'm not. I'm not uh, not backing what he's doing. I just have an opinion and view, like any football fan does, of how what I've seen on the pitch. We lose Ben White when we do not play uh, with the back four we were playing last year, but we play this kind of more of a back three, and then sometimes the wing backs are inverted, or one of them invert one of one of the centre backs kind of plays a wing back place a position and then inverts into midfield. We're losing the benefit of Ben White in my opinion he was so so effective last year overlapping so Saka could then cut in sometimes Saka would pass and Ben would play a good cutback sometimes he'd just be the decoy and 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 Ben White has been vocal enough in himself that saying he is there to make Saka look like a superstar well Saka has had a really stuffed tough start to the season like especially the last the two home games he had a a wonder goal against Forest, but yesterday he was a little bit absent. Like he was really struggling to create anything. And part of that is because he's losing the benefit of Ben White, who creates space for him, allows him to then cut inside because Ben White's pulling the defender away. And that's a real problem because it's not just our defense that is suffering. It's also our attacking options that I believe are suffering as well. I do not think we're that, that prominent there. So that's a concern for me. Kivio, I have no problems. He didn't do much wrong. But there is a difference. Um, when you see Zinni come on, 
uh, in the second half, Zinchenko was so much more composed with the ball at his feet. There was a pace, there was a tempo, there was a way that was playing. You could see the change in quality as soon as he came onto the field. And then we, we were we were in a much better position. I do know that he gave the ball away. That ball eventually led to a corner and that uh, led to the goal for the equaliser for Fulham. That was disappointing. We know Zinchenko can make mistakes like that. However, we did have one or two opportunities actually before that goal and him making the mistake to rescue that ball um, and, and, and stop stop the goal. So as much as it was a contributor, it wasn't a direct contributor. Well, that is a, that's a challenge. But I think, you know, we brought Timber in to be a, a mitigation to that and, and he's injured. So we're not, I don't see us going out and spending another 30 million on another Timber uh, to play in, in Zinchenko's position. We have Zinchenko, we have to back him and we have to support him. But there's a bigger topic with a defence. And the bigger topic with a defence is that Gabriel was on the bench again. I'm trying to understand why he was on the bench again. It was not clear to me. I was. Is he ill? Is he going? Is he being bought and uh, sold? Sorry to to Saudi Arabia. It's not clear. I don't know what's happening there. I think it's worrying all Arsenal fans though. Has he done something that is is annoyed Arteta that that he's being punished for something? You know, we know that Arteta can, and when he needs to, give give players the cold shoulder. It it, it doesn't make sense when you've got uh, Saliba and Gabriel's partnership last year was one of, if not the best defensive partnership in the league. And it only broke down for us when Saliba had the injury in the last two months of the season. It, it had a massive impact on our title challenge. So I, I'm not clear on why we aren't playing Gabriel. It's actually a little frustrating as I, I will continue to repeat we have to trust what Arteta is doing but there was so many people commenting on it in the ground I think we were all talking about it afterwards and it, it's not clear when you've got a player of that caliber it, it just doesn't make sense and and I think a, a number of fans are almost asking to please stop experimenting with the defense so it feels like an experimentation with the defense in the moment it may be that Arteta's just decided that we're going to play this new formation and maybe he's just saying we've got to play it, drill it into us and become comfortable with it and this is going to be the way we play. We've seen the fact that Man City are pretty much playing with a back four, sometimes a back three, but with all centre-backs, uh, lacking traditional wing-backs, if you will, almost. And so maybe that's what we're pivoting to. But for me personally, I, I don't think it's working right now we're, we're, we're always conceding at, at home like uh grev and and myself and and our other friend spence we we do a score prediction every game and we we give ourselves points and rank a league table on it by the end of the season and every game my score prediction i always even for a home i always go arsenal win three one two one four one it's never four nil two nil three nil because we always have one in us. We always have one, at least one goal in us. I was more confident last year in the defence. I'm, I'm worried of the start of the season. We're not showing that stability. 
the experimentation, it feels like experimentation with defense is not working. And we, I really feel we are missing Gabriel. Um, I think all fans in the moment just want to see Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba, Ben White. Why? It's fairly solid. Zinchenko adds that extra in the midfield. And with White, we get that overlapping of Saka. And, and that's just the stability that we want to see at the moment. So fingers crossed that we might get that for the next game, especially with Manchester United. It's, it, I think we, I think we have to, um, we have to really go out against United and hit it hard because we need to win that game now after dropping points against Fulham. You know, we need to win every game, but especially the United game. We, you know, they aren't really on the best run of form from the start of the season. So we need to, we need to bring our old form back with Jesus back as well. Um, we we do have then uh, almost with Bar Timber a, a pretty fully fit squad. Um, so hopefully we can start to get back to those performances that we were familiar with, especially at the beginning of last season. So let's move on a little bit further up the field to what was happening in the midfield. And I want to talk first about habits. Because Havertz was playing in, in the left eight role, um, he we we played a front three of Martinelli, Saka, and Trossard. So Havertz was playing in the in the Granite Xhaka position. There was an incredible amount of frustration in the ground. Uh, me and my friend Spence, we we were berating what we were seeing. Um, I am not going to go out there and say Havertz was a bad buy. Um, I don't understand why we bought him and what a number of fans are saying. There's a lot of criticalness of him. But at the moment, I'm, I am still struggling to see the potential that I, I, I know that the Arteta sees. And, and there's a, a couple of main reasons for it yesterday. There's no urgency in transitions. And I think that that is the most concerning thing out of anything. It's the urgency in transitions. There's multiple times when I felt he wasn't giving the ball quick enough to Martinelli. Um, and, and and sometimes just playing like there was one time where Martinelli wanted to play his kind of classic one-two. He'd always play with Xhaka. And, and so he'd play, he'd play the pass in and, and Xhaka would read where he was going to the byline and give the ball back. Martinelli did that with Havertz. Havertz didn't play the ball in front, in between the hole with the defenders. He played it directly back to the place that Martinelli was standing when he passed the ball. But obviously, by that point, Martinelli had gone. He was looking for the return ball through through the gap between the defenders towards the byline. So it's like, I, I don't know if there's something yeah, yet where he needs to play the position more and, and understand the movement of the players and how we play in that position. But there's something there that's not clicking. Um, he, he, he We know that he has a Mesut Ozil style body language so it looks he's not slow but he does at times the way he's presenting his himself on the pitch look disinterested look very um slow in his movement and and i don't believe he is that player but it doesn't help in the ground um there was such a frustration um and then Two other things for me that really stuck out. One was the commitment to get on the end of a cross. There was a cross that that kind of came in in the first half. We we were sat in the clock end right behind the goal, 
and he, he the ball came across the, the front of the six yard box. It was there for a tap in. It's like he kind of stopped running towards it. He kind of like stopped assuming someone else was going to get there. And it was so annoying because if he'd have kept going, he'd have had a tap in. Um, so that kind of commitment to get on the end of the ball, we didn't see that. The only time he did try to get on the end of the ball was when it was behind him. And he tried to do so. I don't know what he was doing with the back of his feet. He tried to do a flick of some kind. The problem was, I don't know if there wasn't a shout from Leo, but 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 Trossard uh, was in at the back post and, and he would have had a clear shot on goal. But but this kind of touch or flick from behind himself that Habits did just took the ball off the top of, off of Leo's foot. And um, that was really disappointing because then we lost a goal scoring chance. So there was just all of these small little things like, like overall, he's like his all-round play is is okay. Like he 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 he's good in keeping possession. He's he's ma- he's he's making a number of good passes. But it's it's all of these small other things that we're seeing, and this is adding up because these are in the you know critical transitional periods for us when when we when we were last year very dangerous. Sini backed up by Xhaka, Martinelli, but you also had Jesus kind of coming in with Martinelli on that left-hand side of the pitch. It was the most dangerous area for us at the beginning of last season. And none of that is there right now. So just a real big kind of concern, I think, for Arsenal fans um, with that. But we need to still, I think, give him time. He needs to learn how to play with, with these players. I think it's very clear that he is, he is still learning. So let's, let's move on to someone else who came in on the midfield. Fab Vieira. I've literally called this Fab Vieira. Um, my first words, if you're listening, Grev, eat your words, my friend. Eat your words. Because Fabio was absolutely brilliant. Um, he he came on in the second half. Uh, I think, I, I can't actually recall who he came on for. I know Habits came off, so I think that might have been the switch. But there was a, a spring in his step um as soon as he got on the ball he was moving so much faster so much better in transitions he was spraying the ball around it was it was a different side of fabio that i think we saw in a few games last year against brentford away that he can do this he kind of grabs the game by by the balls and just and oh by the horn sorry and just pulls it along um but but it was it was a, it was really an outstanding performance by him. Something that we want to see, uh, where he can dominate uh, dominate the midfield. Um, he was uh, in, incredible in his little uh, quick feet around the box. Um, he was continuing to add to his transitional passes. He would then continue to to run on, and um, he did two great great things one was was the the charge into the box where he won the foul and he got the penalty and the second was the pass the ball across from the left hand side then for Eddie Nketiah's goal absolutely superb um it was it was a beautifully timed ball I mean the finish from Eddie I'll talk about in a bit but but it was a beautifully timed ball by Fabio um it was a level of maturity um that I saw from him yesterday that I have not seen before. It was what we have been waiting to see. So incredibly happy with his his performance. Um, so, 
yeah, Greb, if you're listening, watch that highlight reel of Fabio because he was awesome. Um, so let's go on to Mr. Enketia. Your defense is in trouble because Enketia was in the room. He was awesome. Um, again, I'm disappointed that he didn't start because in the game against Forest, he was very good. He's good at home. When he starts at home, he scores. Luckily, he came off the bench at half time and he still scored, which he hasn't been too, too prominent at doing. It's coming on as a sub and, and scoring. Um, but for, for me, he was exactly what we needed yesterday. So the press, that energy that I felt we lacked with our press in the first half, um, he was there. He was putting pressure on the defenders. He was continuing. He, he reminded me of Jesus, uh, actually. You know, we always kind of, in a, in a way, kind of used to be quite critical of, of of Eddie once we'd seen what Jesus can do. But you can tell Eddie has been learning from Jesus because, he, you know, he, he I think he said he trains like a beast every every day, even if he doesn't get in the starting lineup because he knows what's required of him. Well, he played like one yesterday. Um, the press was awesome. The commitment to chase the ball down to the fact that he managed to get us on the counter and then he forced the, their defender into a foul, which gave the second yellow away, and then they went down to 10 men. So um, absolutely brilliant performance by him there. And then let's just give him some time to talk about that finish because that finish was was beautiful it was so nicely taken um his side foot into the bottom of the right hand corner from the ball that came from fabio across the side it was it was a beautifully taken finish in the way that he just caught it with his foot um a beautiful positioned finish I, I very much reminded me of a, a Thierry finish so for me Thierry had had two particular finishes that I felt were always very common we all know the kind of come into the box on the left hand side and then use your right uh, right foot to, to put it in the bottom corner across the far side of the goal like the goal we scored against Leeds United in the FA Cup but the other finish that Thierry was able to do is when the ball came sweeping in along the front on the ground was the ability to angle his foot in a position that wouldn't go straight at the goal, but would pitch it into one of the far corners. And that was exactly what Eddie did. It was smooth, it was quick, and it was just a lovely taking finish. He was a poacher in the box. And that's exactly what we need, because we were playing, especially in the last 20 minutes yesterday, um, we were playing a number of balls over the top. We were just in the last, especially in the last 10, we were getting cross after cross after crossing. But at this point, we'd taken habits off. I think we'd taken rice off. We'd taken party off. So at this point, it's like, who are you crossing the ball to? Why are we putting in all these high balls? Because we haven't got someone who's going to be able to compete for those crosses and get that winner that we needed in the last 10 minutes. Um, so the exact kind of balls we needed to play playing into the box were like the ones that Fabio did for Eddie and, 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 and it was just a beautiful finish. So that was actually everything I had to talk about, but I think it's just probably worth just kind of talking in general about 
the formation and whether it's working. I think the big concern for me is that we are conceding goals. Um, we are recovering, but we are recovering our 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 um our our, our loose balls. We are we are always kind of going at the moment one on one with the defender um with with their attack and most of the time when you've got someone like Saliba that's okay but the concern for me was it was happening far too often where there was one-on-ones and and for me that's where we're leaking goals um we we've seen it against Forest we looked ropey to an extent we were very grateful for William Saliba um but because as we're just getting caught on the counter attack and yesterday it was happening again like Fulham's end products, as shown by the XG, was very, very low. However, um, it, it was nervy to an extent in the ground. I think we all knew how much we needed the points and we all knew how the mistake in the, in the first half had put us on the back foot. And it just wasn't an enjoyable experience to, to watch in the ground, to be honest. Um, and so I... I, I I really want to see us tighten up our our defensive play. Um and I want to see a more solid um a solid defensive performance, but with a, a support from the midfield, I feel like not having party permanently sitting in front of the defense with a traditional back four is hurting us. Um, and I think that that's not helping us in our in our attacking uh, play as well, because the fact that Party can used to be sitting in that position last year, using his quick feet to then get the ball onto Jackal or finding a hole in in in, in the defence, um, or play spraying the ball left and right. We're missing that a little bit. We're relying on Rice to do that, but then as a result, we don't have Jacker in the eight like anymore so you know we can i i still strongly strongly believe that a stronger defense is the back four and i want to see party rice and odegaard i feel like that worked really well when we did see it in pre-season and then suddenly at the start of the season we've pivoted away from it and so i just feel that we need to make some changes there so Parking lot. Let's talk about some of the things that were not related to our disappointing two-all draw with Fulham. Mike Dean. Um, so you may have seen, uh, I know most Arsenal fans have seen the comments by Mike Dean on another podcast with the VAR incident. I'm not going to go into that. There's been a lot that's been discussed about, you know, what Mike Dean said, I think it was unprofessional and wrong. You know, the referees association is held to a level of professionalism. And I don't think Mike Dean has done any favours to the current referees and Howard Webb and the job that he's got to do. Um, I'm more going to call out the fact that, that we all, one, have a a bit of a hatred, I guess. Not just Arsenal. I think many clubs of 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 Mike Dean over the years, and the way he's refereed our our, our games. But 
uh i think in general just it, it was something i saw on twitter which was around what Arsene Wenger said, uh, I think it was in 2018, he called him out on the sideline for being dishonest, not honest. And uh, Mike Dean said, are you calling me a cheat? And I think Arsene said something along the lines of, you heard what I said, uh, you're not you're not honest. And uh, this is many times against us that you've done this. Uh, later, Arsene was given a free game touchline ban and the 40k fine. And as always, everyone jumped on Wenger, as they always did. But comments like what Mike Dean is saying there just, you know, it, it just doesn't help. Um, it, it, it doesn't help. And I, I, I think, you know, I, in a way, I, I say hatred. Uh, I don't think should, we should hate anybody. But he's, he's a nice guy on the Peter Crouch podcast, if you ever listened to that. But there's a professionalism to your job, and I think that um, he's made a big, big error uh, in in what he said on that podcast. So um, that that for me was uh, a big faux pas on his account, and I think something that not just Arsenal fans but all fans are are not happy about. Um, let's move on and just talk about the ground again um, on Saturday. I, I definitely. Uh, saw from the Ashburton Army, it looked like more of those guys were in the ground for this home game. So there was a slight increase in numbers there. Um, definitely, I made that assumption by the, the volume of flags I was seeing in that area and banners were as a lot larger than in the first game. But I know Grev, in, in one of our previous podcasts, talked about the lack of atmosphere in the ground. Um and I still feel that that was that was present yesterday. Uh, I just felt that last year, every home game, there was a vibe, there was an excitement, there was an energy, not just on the concourse, but once you got in the ground, the whole ninety minutes, you would be bouncing, it would be singing, and I and I just I just feel that energy is just not. Not there. And even when we concede, like we conceded two goals yesterday, right? Both not great goals to concede. Um, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the Saka giving away the, the the first one. But after you concede last year, Arsenal fans were right behind the team. I remember Saliba making a mistake last year. Every single Arsenal fan was right behind the team, egging them on from the moment that ball hit the hit hit our own net. We were right behind them. It, and that's when we kind of all went, something's changed here. Like, this is a different environment. This is a different, we are different as fans and this team is different. We're not seeing that this year. I'm not feeling that same energy. And that's, that is incredibly important as our role as fans in the ground to maintain that, to help the team continue to perform at the levels we were at. Um, it's our responsibility to do our part. I personally, for me, I'm not being critical of anybody in the ground. I just felt as a whole, we were not doing that yesterday. And, I, I, and, and I'm not saying that that is going to change the result, but I, I, I would like to think that we give the players energy. Um, and, and I just feel like the, the, the energy was sucked out the ground with the first goal. Um, yeah, okay, we shouldn't be conceding that early. But it is also our responsibility as fans to get behind the team. And and um, I felt I was just missing a little bit yesterday. I was a little bit disappointed. I think that 
the ballot system isn't helping there um because the fact that you know we we are not sat we're still sat in the same end when we've been getting our tickets this year but we haven't been sitting where we usually sit uh, we've been sport about different places in the clock end um and, and and so i think that's the same for a number of people and i think that is having an impact also just mentioning the ballot uh I, I i'm still seeing loads of rows of spare seats around and it's really frustrating me there are people who want to go to these games that can't get a ticket and are legitimate members paying their reds and silver membership um and in the coming games, Manchester United and Spurs, we haven't got tickets. We went in for silvers, we went in for reds. Both we didn't get tickets, especially with the red memberships. I think as well, like if you don't get silvers, but then not to get reds as well. It's like, why are we paying for memberships if we can't get tickets to games? It's, it's frustrating because we want to be in the ground, but it's even more frustrating when you see empty seats on. So I guess that's also an ask to anyone who has a season ticket who cannot go, or anyone has a ticket who can't go, please put your ticket on the exchange because... They will be snapped up. I will be looking for tickets for Manchester United and I will be looking for tickets for Spurs. And if I can get one, I will take it. Um, so, yeah, just a, a message to all fans to, yeah, you know, given the ballot system in its current state, please put your tickets uh, tickets on the exchange if you can't go. And um, we'll see with Man City. We've gone in for the ballot. We'll see if we get it. Uh, fingers crossed we do. So there's been a little bit of, transfer news uh we're coming to the final week of the window now i think there's three or four days to the final end of the window and we're finally seeing some outgoing so uh balagan to monaco is pretty much a done deal uh around 40 million euro work mark but which isn't as much as we want to get right i think that's about 35 million pounds i think really we want but i think with add-ons it'll get closer to the the 40 to 45 million pound mark and then i think the big thing here is that there's a big juicy sell-on clause where we are likely to cash in for how much ever Monaco sell him to the next big thing. So I'm confident that Balogun will do well in Monaco. If you look at that team in Ligue 1, the league this year is much more open. There's no Messi, there's no Neymar in, in PSG. The PSG's squad has been ripped out i think it's a much more competitive and exciting league i, I personally love watching league and i've watched it ever since the day it's arsenal we used to get loads of french players so i've always um enjoyed watching that and i think it's going to be an exciting league this year i think psg are, are going to not dominate the league i think it's going to be entertaining you're going to have the likes of leon marseille i think maybe Lons, maybe lille um you, and, and then Monaco have got, uh, they're building a squad, a young and, and talented squad. And I think Balogun fits the profile of what they're looking for, um, especially because of the stuff with Ben Yedder. I think that they he's he's going to be the star striker there. I can see him performing. I can see him growing and developing further. So the fact that we've got that sell-on clause is incredibly important because he will grow and I think he will go to a top big European club. He might go to a big top European club but we don't want him to go to if he performs in league and let's be honest I think I could see him coming back to the Premier League for a team that we probably wouldn't want to see him playing for but you know we were never going to sell him direct to that team so if that's his way he gets back to the Premier League then fair enough but at least we're cashing in on it as well so best of luck to him um then today it's been announced that Tierney has joined Real Sociedad um 
I'm a little bit disappointed in a way. I feel like occasionally we could still do with him in that left back position, uh, especially with Timber's absence alone doesn't really doesn't really satisfy me. If we're gonna not have him in the squad, I'd rather us be selling him. But clearly, there's no buying market for thirty million on a Twitter on a mid twenties defender. As he would have gone already. Clearly, the money that we want for him is not there. And clearly Arteta has communicated to him that he's not going to get the game time that he wants, which is disappointing for him. And so you can understand him wanting to go and get a, a whole season under his belt of full, you know, playing every game uh, left back at a high level. So I was quite surprised by Sociedad, if I'm honest. Like, I think mean, he'd have been a good fit maybe in the Bundesliga. I think probably would have been a league that maybe suited him better, if I'm honest. Um, but I, I was quite surprised by Sociedad. Um, but you know, I, I wish him all the best. I've got a lot of time and respect for for, for Kieran Tierney. I think he is a absolute professional. He has represented our club incredibly well. Uh, I'm kind of a little bit uh, disappointed on for for him the fact that it's not turned out how maybe we wanted it to. Uh, at Arsenal, um, you know, I respect that you know we needed a different caliber of wing back, and and Tierney doesn't fit that profile anymore. So as a squad, we've moved on. But uh, he's an utmost professional. He there were times when we were in a dark place, and he was one of our best players. There was a point in time when we said he will be our next captain. Um, and I I I, I just really like Kieran Tierney. We've got so much time for him, even with his bringing his football kit in the Tesco bag to the stadium. Absolutely brilliant. So um, I wish him all the best. I look forward to seeing him back next season, but um, uh, I guess I'm not too hopeful that we'll really ever see him playing properly at the Emirates again. I think um, he's going out on loan this season. I think it's uh, it's pretty much set in stone that at some point he will, he will be moving on. So uh, that's it for uh, today's podcast we are up against united next week on sunday so um grev will be is actually grev's going to the game because he's going with uh with his kids to the sensory room i will be either if i can get a ticket maybe in the ground but uh more likely watching with my friends on tv um so we will probably be back uh next sunday or monday evening with a review of the united game we'll be both back together so you don't have to listen to my dull tones <laughs> for 40 minutes or so um so let's hope for a, a better performance against united and a much stronger a much stronger performance in regards to our defensive and our attacking capabilities um as always uh please give this a five-star review as greg would say on your podcast provider uh, and no less and continue to give us a thumbs up and leave any comments or questions you have in the youtube videos but for now have a great week guys and i'll speak to you soon cheers